isn't actually a testimony, but I did want to explain um, why I was taking this um, decision to follow Jesus. And um, it's been a long time coming, the decision to follow Jesus in believers' baptism. I publicly, public, publicly confirmed my faith in Jesus as my saviour when I was 16 in another church. And I feel this is really part two, completing the job. Fear held me back. And it was mainly fear of letting go and giving God the control of my life. And that's something I'm going to have to deal with every day. And as well, it was the fear of being up here now. <laughs> um, the decision started with the 40 days of purpose that we did last year. And our Bible study this year in my small group called um, Experiencing God has helped me to learn to trust God and, in, and in turn to obey him fully. I've also learnt that I'm in the church where God wants me to be, so I want to be a member of this church family and not just an attender. And it really comes down to just trust and obey. And that's it. Thank you. Well, Sharon, here's the time for your baptism. And I just want to ask you a couple of questions. I want to ask you, Sharon, do you believe with all your heart that Jesus is your saviour and your Lord? Great. And Sharon, do you commit yourself to being a disciple of Jesus Christ? Great. Well, come around here and having heard of your faith in Jesus Christ, Sharon, I now baptise you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We can finish going through James and we're starting looking at a new book tonight, the book of Acts. And we're going to be looking at the book of Acts. Um, do you know, uh, I think it was Oliver Wendell Holmes who once said, you know, I would have become a Christian if it wasn't for the fact that the pastors in the churches that I went to looked more like undertakers than pastors. <laughs> You know, he said he looked at the, at the faces of the pastors in the churches that he went to and they looked so sad, so dreary, that it turned him off becoming a Christian. Yeah. It's true, isn't it, sadly, that some ministers look really sour, don't they? But so do some Christians. Some Christians look uh, nothing like what the truth of the gospel sh demonstrates in the Bible. You know, um, there seems to sometimes be no evidence on the faces of the love and the joy and the peace and the patience and the kindness and the goodness and the self-control that comes from living a life by the Spirit of God. Someone once described the church as a group of people spouting on about rules and laws to a world that's not even listening. Sometimes it does appear, doesn't it, when we sit back and look at different churches and sometimes on our bad days, that the church sometimes may have lost its potency. I mean, if you look around Australia today, it seems that the church has lost a lot of its impact in the world that it once had, perhaps. And we, we can ask ourselves tonight, hey, why has that happened? Why has this taken place? Well, we could 
point to the terrible things that have happened in many different denominations and churches, where some uh, ministers and pastors and priests have, have been caught up in some of the most horrible cases of abuse. We can say when those things happen, you know, it's understandable why people walk away slamming the door of the church and saying, if this is what church is all about, who wants it? We can look at, at some of the churches who have been caught up in more kind of prosperity uh, things and kind of become more focused on money than on the gospel. People have walked away from those churches saying all they care about is money and they've sort of gone off the wrong track. Some people have got, uh, some churches have got so caught up in things of uh, the, the supernatural that it's taken their eyes off faithfulness. And so they've gone down one area. Or other churches have, have been so caught up in power struggles and politics that just going to their churches, you can feel the conflict as you walk in. And you think, why would we want to be part of that? Some churches have been just torn apart by those splits. Others get on doctrine. You know, you, if you don't believe this about that, then, you know, this is what it is. And they get all that energy trying to defend doctrine. As we stand here tonight, um, so many years on, almost 2,000 years since the church's birth, I wonder what the church that God had in mind was really like. I wonder what his hopes for the church was like. As we open the, the book of Acts, as we come to those first verses in Acts, Acts 1 to 11, we can turn to them now. What we get here is a glimpse of the church at its very beginning. The way God uh, and I hoped it would be. Boy, it wasn't perfect. Gee, it had its problems. But I think as we open up the book of Acts week after week in the coming months, we're going to see the power of God at work. And we're going to long for God to work in our church just the same way. I'm excited about that. Are you excited about that? It'll be great. It'll be great. So let's look at Acts chapter 1 and verses 1 to 11. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote, all, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles, he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has sent by his own authority, but you will receive power 
when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up to the sky, up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Acts chapter 1 and verses 1 to 11. You will be my witnesses, Jesus says. Uh, The book of Acts was written by Luke. He was a medical doctor, Luke was. And he'd written uh, in such a way the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts that it's just obvious as you look at the original uh, scrolls, I'm told, people that, that studied them and looked at them saw that he had been educated and well educated, this doctor Luke. Because the handwriting that he uses is just so uh, precise. And his grasp of the language as he wrote these pages it shows that Luke was a well-educated man. The Greek original manuscripts show it. The words that he used to describe different things show he just knew what he was on about, knew how to express himself and speak well. Now... He wrote the Gospel of Luke, first of all, and then he wrote the Acts of the Apostles. And he begins the, the, the first verse of Acts with these words. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. So he's writing to someone called Theophilus. Theophilus. And it's interesting that there's not much written about this guy at all in the Bible. The only other time he's mentioned is actually when Luke starts his other book, which is the Gospel of Luke, and he mentions him there. He starts the book by talking to his friend Theophilus again. And there's not many details about who he is, but we can guess by his name that he was probably a Gentile. Maybe he was someone who was high up in Roman areas. Uh, Many uh, writers kind of... uh, speculate when they think about Theophilus that he may have been someone who was a part of the equestrian group high up in Roman um, in the Roman you know hierarchy and a guy that just rode horses and was part of that that's some of the speculation about him it seems he was quite wealthy perhaps Theophilus was an inquirer and he was wanting to know more about Jesus and who he was and perhaps That's why Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke and sent it to him. Initially to let him know all about what Jesus had did during his earthly ministry. And that's what Luke writes here. Look what it says. It says, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach in my former book. Until the day when he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles that he had chosen. That's, I wrote all that. So it's fair to say that 
Luke was written about the works and the things that Jesus had said while he was on earth. Acts, which is implied by this verse that we've just read now, is, was written about the things that the risen Lord Jesus did from the time that he had risen from the dead through his people, through the power of his Holy Spirit. So it's the continuing work of Jesus, only it's the risen Christ working in and through his people in the church. So the uh, Gospel of Luke, the works of Christ Jesus while he was on earth. Acts, the continuing work of the risen Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit amongst his people, his church. So when Jesus uh, died and rose again, and when he appeared to many people and he, and he showed himself to them, that wasn't the end for Jesus. No, that wasn't all we're going to hear. His work continues and it continues to unfold. And we see that all the time. Jesus is alive and well even today in the lives of his believers. And it's true tonight, isn't it? That Jesus is alive. Jesus is at work in and through us in this world. We don't just try and remember scriptures from the past and try and figure out things in our mind about a dead uh, Jesus who once lived. We don't just examine him with our mind not knowing him personally in our lives. The, the, the truth of this is that Jesus Christ is alive. We serve a risen saviour. We don't follow a old historical figure but he's alive and Luke was clear uh, was was really wanting to show that he was still at work today we see him right through acts continuing his work we don't have to go hoping or looking anywhere we just acknowledge his power and at work in our lives and Christ is with us. Acts just goes right on like that, showing his work. It's an amazing book. Can you imagine if you'd open your Bibles and you went Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Romans. Imagine if that happened. You just sort of think, what's going on here? Here we've got Jesus and his earthly ministry and then all of a sudden we've got Paul writing Romans to an established church. And he's writing them deep doctrine and theology about the church and how it, how, about what God has done. And he's talking and teaching this established place. And you would have thought, what happened? You know, Jesus came and now there's this church. Bang. But right in the middle is this great place uh, book, the book of Acts, which shows how from the very beginnings the church was established and the events that took place. So... What an amazing book it is. What an incredible account of a historian, Luke. He continues the opening sentences of his book and he talks about the period of time that occurs between Jesus' resurrection and the time when he was taken up to heaven. And let's read verse 3 and, and following. It says here, After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. 
He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Have you ever noticed that uh, 40 days there? You know, have you ever thought that the time in between Jesus' uh, death and being taken up, his resurrection and being taken out of heaven was 40 days? This is the only place that it's mentioned. Uh, in, it's not mentioned in the Gospels, the amount of time. But Luke men- mentions it here. And I think these days must have been absolutely incredible. When you think about it, these days would have uh, had to have some pretty amazing things taking place because the changes that happened in the life of the disciples from the day when Jesus was crucified to the day when he was taken up would have had to be staggering. And so the work that Jesus would have had to be doing in those times, talking and appearing to the disciples, would have had to have brought about great changes if they were going to be the ones that would establish the church. The reason I say that is because when Jesus was crucified, the disciples ran. They, they fled. They left the scene. Um, they were running away. They were dejected. Their heads were down. We've got reports that they uh, were cowering together in the upper room, you know, with the doors locked for fear of the Jews. We've got reports that they were, we find pictures of them back at fishing again. You know, as though all that they'd hoped for and all that they'd put their trust in in Jesus had, had come to an end and, and they were down and they were sad. They were thinking, we ran, we left him. Now he's dead. They would have been very low. But somewhere in these 40 days, the most incredible transformations took place amongst these people. The most incredible. I wonder what things took place. Well, I think this passage shows that they had three things that actually Jesus showed them and taught them during those 40 days. And the first thing that he did was Jesus gave them a new understanding in these 40 days. What's a new understanding that he gave them? Well, he, he gave them a new understanding about what had happened to him and what his purposes was. Ha- have a look in, in, in Acts, in the passage there in verse 3, it says, Jesus gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. So in order to give them a new understanding of who he was and what God was on about, he actually firstly, uh, one of the proofs that he gave to them was that he appeared to them. He just came and he showed himself to them. Uh, during the time we know that Jesus in these 40 days just started appearing before these people and he showed them who he was. He right, stood right in front of them. They saw him with their very own eyes. And this was important because they were down. They were, if, if they were going to trust the risen Lord Jesus, if they were going to be people that were willing to die for him, if they were going to stand and proclaim that he was Lord, if they were going to establish the early church, then they had to believe that he was alive. They had to know that he had really risen from the dead. And so he comes in these 40 days and he shows, him that he was, he shows them that he was really alive, that he'd actually risen. Uh, one of the ways that he proved that he was alive to them and gave them an understanding that Jesus wasn't dead but he was alive was he ate fish. You know, he ate with them. 
You know when you see there were people that said it was just a hallucination. It's still something that people say uh, that Jesus didn't really rise from the dead, but it was just a hallucination walking around. And so Jesus, just to prove that, that he wasn't a hallucination, picks up some fish and just starts eating. I mean, hallucinations don't eat the plate off the table, do they? And so Jesus ate in front of them and they knew that he was alive. Not only did he appear, but he ate with them. Another thing that he did was he actually let Thomas touch him. You know, he, he uh, let him actually feel him to show that he had really risen from the dead. In John chapter 20 and verses 26 to 28, we see, um, it, it says in verse 27, then he said to Thomas, put your finger in here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. They had to have a new understanding. Jesus wasn't dead. He was alive. So he appeared to them. He, he came right before them. He showed who he was. He ate with them. And he let them even touch him so that they would know. This would be a whole new understanding about who Jesus was that would help them establish the early church and stand boldly and be willing to die for what they believe. Then he actually explained to them about the kingdom. He, he showed himself to them. He gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive and he spoke to them about the kingdom. This was a, another way that he helped them have this new understanding. He talked to them about all that was going to happen. Uh, one of the things that must have happened while he was explaining to them about the kingdom was that he was letting them see God's purposes and letting them see what God's purposes were in these 40 days. They must have been thinking together about all that had happened and thinking as a complete defeat. And Jesus must have come to them and showed that it wasn't a defeat, but it was a triumph. And he was actually showing them that what the people thought were the end was not the end, but a triumph. It was a victory like no other. And they would have been thinking now, I think, that, wow, Jesus is alive. <laughs> He's risen from the dead. He's the Messiah. We're going to walk around with Jesus now from place to place. We're going to reign with him. You know, we're going to actually uh, be ruling with him. And uh, they probably had the wrong idea completely about Jesus. And so they, they sort of asked him um, in here, you know, are you going uh, to restore the kingdom? And he had to explain to them all about those kind of things. He had to tell them that it wasn't going to be the same as before. He had to tell them that, uh, things were going to be different. He was going to leave them and now he was going to go, but it was going to be better for them because the Holy Spirit was going to come. Look what he, uh, he, he said to them, you know, I'm not going to be here physically anymore, he had to explain to them. This new understanding would be that he wouldn't be physically with them, but the Holy Spirit would come. I think if we were to, call out today and announce that next week 
uh, Gail Hill's down to preach at night. But if we said we, we're just going to cancel that because Jesus is going to be here, you know, um, he's coming to Wodonga Baptist and he's going to preach. The risen Jesus is coming back and he's going to preach. We've, we've been able to book him. We, we would just uh, pack the place out, wouldn't we? People would be just here incredibly trying to get a, a front seat and we'd fill it up here. It would be incredible for Wodonga. I mean, people would travel from all over the world to come and see next time. But here, Jesus had to change their understanding that he was going from them physically. And they knew that they could touch him and talk to him and follow him around. But he had to change their understanding to say, I'm leaving, but I'm going to send the Holy Spirit and it's going to be better for you. It's going to be better because instead of you having to follow me around and walk with me and see me uh, heal people and see me uh, pray for people, see me touch blind eyes and make them see and feed the 500, I'm going to actually be available to you through the power of the Holy Spirit. He's going to come and live in you. And this isn't a tragedy. The fact that I died and I'm leaving, it's going to give you great power as my followers. And you know, the good news is that Jesus' power is available to us, to all who follow him. He had to give them a new understanding. He explained them about the kingdom, about the fact that he was going to go but Jesus was going to come back. And it was going to be better for them. Then he would have explained to them more and he explained to them here about this power, the Holy Spirit. So he gave them a new understanding. He gave them a new power. That's the second thing. Look what it says in verse 4. On one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptised with water, but in a few days you will be baptised with the Holy Spirit. He said three things about this coming gift that they were to wait for, the Holy Spirit. He said, first of all, that it's a free gift. Look, look, look what he says. Don't, but wait for the gift. You know, a gift that you're given is for free. You don't have to earn it. And this is what the Holy Spirit would be like. He would give them this new power, a Holy, the Holy Spirit that comes as a gift. In a few days, they'd receive it. You know, you don't have to work to earn a gift. It comes freely. You don't have to be more spiritual to get the Holy Spirit. You don't have to be someone who, um, you know, is kind of more holier than others to receive the Holy Spirit. The gift comes free and Jesus was going to give it to those who would put their trust in him. And this gift that he gives, he gives to us, to you and to me. So the question is, do you know Jesus tonight? Well, the promise is that those who believe in him receive his Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit's power at work within you if you trust in him. It's not only a gift that's free, but it's a gift that the Father promised. Look what it says there. The gift my father promised. Uh, when did God promise this gift of the Holy Spirit? Well, in Ezekiel 36 and verse 26 and 27, you could look that up if you wanted. Ezekiel 36 
and verse 26 and 27. This is way back in the Old Testament. God talked about the coming of his spirit. And he says these words. He says, I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will remove from your heart of stone and I will give you a new heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. So here's God saying, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to give you a new stone, uh, a new heart. I'm going to take away your heart of stone. I'm going to give you this new heart. When you trust in Jesus, you'll get this free gift. And, and the Father had talked about it. And when we get this gift, what's it going to do for us and for our hearts? Well, it's going to encourage us to follow his word. It's going to empower us to live according to his word and follow his commands. He's going to give us this gift that's free from the Father so that we can live the way that he calls us to. Luke goes on in Acts and he says, not only is it the gift that's free, not only is it a gift that's from the Father, but it's a gift that Jesus spoke about. He said, but wait for the gift my Father promised which you have heard me speak about. When did Jesus speak about the Holy Spirit? Well, he spoke about it in John, and he spoke about it in John chapter 15 and, and, and chapter 16. And he spoke about the gift that would be coming. Uh, this is all through, during the upper room discourses. He talked about the Holy Spirit. And he described the Holy Spirit as the comforter. You know, the word that we have is kind of like the counsellor. Uh, that, we, that it comes from the comfort, it comes from the word of the counsellor. When we think about the counsellor, we think of people with glasses on and sit in an office and they say, how did that really make you feel? You know, that's what you think, don't you? Kind of like an expert that listens to what's going on. But the, the sense of the comforter in the, in the original language is the strengthener. So when Jesus talked about the coming Holy Spirit, he described him as the strengthener, the one that would give us power and strength, strength that would help us stand for Jesus, strength that would help us be his witnesses, strength that would help us persevere when things get tough. The strengthener would come. He'd give us strength, a new power, the Holy Spirit at work in our life that would strengthen us. And let me tell you, that power at work in a believer's life is like dynamite. In fact, that kind of word is one that is used to describe this power that the Holy Spirit would bring. If you have an authorised version and you were to turn to Matthew 28 and verse 18, you'd notice that when Jesus was standing and giving the great commission to his disciples, he said, and all authority will be given to me. Well, in the authorised version, it says, and all power has been given to me. So Jesus was saying, all authority, all power to, to work and to do these things has been given to me, so I'm going to give it to you. You know, there's power that kind of comes with authority, right? Well, that word, the same word, is kind of used a little bit later on in this passage in verse 8 in Acts uh, Acts 1 verse 8 but the, the, the sense of it instead of being what Matthew 28 
28 was, the, the word is exousia, meaning power, meaning authority. Here, the word is different. It's, it's dominus, which is meaning dynamite power. It's a different kind of power. It's not just the power that gives you the authority to, to work in an area, but it's the power that is dynamite, a power that's strengthened, a power that enables you to do what you need to be doing. See those things? It's like this. If you're a policeman and uh, you have a badge and you have a uniform, they're the things that kind of show to people that you're a, a policeman. The person in the clothes has the authority and the power to pull you over and to stop a fight. But if I was to get into a policeman's clothes and have the badge and and I was to walk out down Dean Street on Saturday night and I was able to say, hey, stop that. I would look for all intents and purposes like I had the authority to be doing what I'm doing. But I don't have the training or the martial arts, although I did do jiu-jitsu when I was a little kid. But I, I wouldn't have the dynamite, the power that would come with a trained equipped, experienced police officer who could just put people in headlocks and put them in, into the divvy van. You see, there'd be a difference between me and another policeman. And you know, um, what, what the gift that they would await for is described as, in, in verse 8 later on, is this power, this dynamite that would help them live. You know, I see so many people often... Uh, as you hear about churches and you sometimes meet different people that have the uh, outward appearance of being Christians, but they don't have the power of God's Spirit working with them. Now, it reminds me of when I was younger, I was at a wedding reception and someone just said, we've got a few hours between the wedding and the wedding reception, so let's just go to a morgue. And I thought, why are we going there? But this guy worked at the morgue and so he came and he said, well, look, just for fun, let's have a look. And we saw someone who had died and it was just weird. I mean, people are supposed to talk and move and this person was not alive. And for me, it just was not right to see someone without the spirit, their spirit working. And when you see people with, who, who are Christians but just try and live on their own power and their own works and they try and do things that are right and try and earn their way as though, and they get mad at people who haven't been living according to the right. And it, it's kind of like Christianity without the power of God at work in people's lives. And so many churches, it seems, people are walking away from because it, it seems that the power's gone out. People seem to trust in themselves and it's a challenge for me, it's a challenge for you to live, to wait for this gift. If you put your trust in the gift's already come and it's at work within you, but to actually be able to live each day, not in your own strength, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus talks about it. And when he talked about it in uh, John 16, 
he talked about this this gift of the Holy Spirit would actually convict the world of, of guilt regarding sin and righteousness. It would, in, in regard to sin, it says in, in John 16 verse 8, because men do not believe in me. In regard to righteousness, because I'm going to the Father where you can no longer be. So it was talking about the Holy Spirit would convict us of sin. It would help us to know when we're doing right and doing wrong. The Holy Spirit would empower us to know about those things and to live strengthened life with this dynamite power at work within us. This power, have you received it? Have you given your heart to Jesus? Well, the Holy Spirit is at work within you. And he wants you to live your life trusting in him and not in your own strength. Asking him to empower you when you face temptation. Asking him to empower you to forgive people that are hard to forgive, that have hurt you. Asking you to love people who are hard to love. Ask him to help you by his power. Jesus gives them new understanding. He gives them a new power. Finally, he gives them a new purpose. This is what it says in verses 6 to 8. So when they met together, they asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, hey, it's not for you to know the times and dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus gives them a new purpose here. He says, hey, don't worry about all those times and when I'm coming back. Don't try and figure them out. You know, people are still trying to figure them out. I mean, if you do a Google search about when Jesus is coming back, people make all crazy claims. I mean, if, if you wanted to make a bit of money quickly, from, you know, just, just publish a book about the date. Pick a date, any date up in the future and put it out there on the internet, people will buy it because everyone's wanting to know about the date. But you know, it's a silly thing to do to spend time worrying about that because Jesus says, no one knows the time. Not even, my, not even I know the time, Jesus said, only my Father. So don't concern yourself. Don't worry about it. Don't, don't go running around trying to figure it out. Know that he's coming, absolutely. Be ready. He's coming one day. But don't try and figure out the date and worry all about it. Just, just live today knowing that he's coming. And so what are we going to do until he does come again in the meantime? Well, Jesus says, and you will be my witnesses. You'll be my witnesses. If you've ever been in a car accident and you've hit someone who's really mad, or they've hit you and they're really mad, worse still. It's really good to have a witness, isn't it? I mean, especially if you weren't in the wrong and they're really mad and they're blaming you. I mean, just to have someone who can stand and say, I saw it happen, this is what happened, I can testify that that's exactly what's happened. And they're willing to stand with you in court. I mean, they're so valuable, aren't they? And Jesus says, you'll be my witnesses. So wait for the gift and don't worry about the times coming back, but I want you to be my witnesses. Many people get really um, funny about evangelism. You know, they kind of say, I don't know 
all the four spiritual laws and I've tried to do that bridge illustration like over and over again and I keep getting the people on the wrong side and I get the verses wrong and you know I just could never do this evangelism stuff I've never been to Bible college I've never known much about it and Jesus doesn't say whoops you'll be my witnesses by learning the four spiritual laws he never says that does he he says you'll be my witnesses and he's giving them this new understanding of who he is this new power and he's saying now live for me be my witnesses as you live now I think it's great to always be prepared to give an answer I think we should I think we should try and be as ready as we can for people that say wow I've been noticing your life there seems to be a power at work in your life I just love the way you, you, you seem to face difficult circumstances. And when, when people ask about why we're different, I think it's great to be prepared to have an answer. But you know, there's a powerful power in people that are able to say, huh, I don't know, but this is what Jesus is doing in my life. Uh, I, I saw him, I've been talking to him. You know, I just asked Jesus and he, and he helps me. When I'm afraid, I just say, Jesus, help me, and I feel the, the peace of God. You know, I just didn't want to talk to that person. I wanted to hate them for the rest of my life, but he gave me strength. And Jesus helped me get the courage to sit down and talk with them and love them, not hate them. It's just a witness. You're not making up. You're not controlling, manipulating. You're just telling the truth about what's going on in your life. I saw it. You know, this is what happened. This is what was going on. I was praying and, and, and I felt Jesus saying, yeah, take this next step in developing your character. Take this next step in, in giving. Take this next step in living this way. And I did it. God's looking for witnesses. Are you someone who's living your life, trusting in the power of God's Holy Spirit as you look to Jesus? And are you... Just sharing with other people the natural things that Jesus does in your life every day. You'll be a witness then. And this witness, this call to witness is an ever-expanding call. It starts in Jerusalem and then it goes to Judea and Samaria and then to the end of the earth. You know, this verse can be described as like a table of contents for the book of Acts. Do you know why? Because in Acts chapter 1 to 7, Jerusalem is all where the events are taking place. The gospel is spreading throughout Jerusalem in Acts 1-7. Then in, verses, uh, in chapter 8, Judea and Samaria are mentioned as well. And the gospel spreads to these areas. And then Paul's converted. Um, and, and as a result of Paul's conversion, the rest of the book of Acts is seeing the gospel taken to the, all the ends, of the, and ends of the earth. And today the gospel is still spreading right throughout to the ends of the earth. We're still trying to get the Bible translated into different languages and here we are trying to do everything we can to help people over the other side of the world come to know Jesus. We're pretty responsible, we'll be held most accountable for the people of Wodonga and Albury though. And so for us our, our challenge is to be those who are witnesses right here where we are. You can be a witness right in your workplace in a way that I could never be. You can be a witness in your family in a way that I could never be. You can be a witness in your neighbourhood. I don't live next door to you. Uh, but you can be the witness there. So this is the way the gospel works. 
that you trust in Jesus and his power and you become his witnesses and it spreads our church. Imagine us living together under the Lordship of Christ in the power of his Holy Spirit and people just seeing Christ at work in our lives and his power and people coming to know him. That's how this church has grown to the size that it is now. That's the only way it will continue to grow, by his people trusting in him and the power of his Holy Spirit. Not like some dead corpse, but a corpse that is a person that is alive and filled with God's Spirit. God wants everyone to hear about the good news. And he wants us to love the people in Wodonga, in Albury, in all the places around, in the whole of Australia, and to the ends of the earth. Let's be his witnesses. So, section ends where after he'd said this, he was taken up before their eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. And they were looking intently up to the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him going into heaven. It's a funny little verse, isn't it? They're looking up into the sky. I would have been too, I reckon, standing there going, wow, look at Jesus going up there. It must have been incredible. And then as they're all looking there, you know, wide-mouthed and eyes hanging out of their head, the angels just come back and say, why are you looking up here? Why are you just staring into the sky? <coughs> Didn't you hear what he said? He used to go into, thanks, honey. What a woman. Didn't you hear all the things that... I'm not going to speak longer now that I've got this. I'll tell you, man, we're landing here. Um, the angel said, you know, what are you doing looking up here? Didn't you hear what he said? He's given you a new understanding. He's given you a new power. He's given you a new purpose. Now, don't just keep looking up here. Go and live. Go and be his witnesses. You know that Jesus died and rose again. You know that... He's the one. He's appeared. He's shown you. He's eaten with you. He's let you touch him. You know that. You know that he is who he said he was. Now he's given you this Holy Spirit that will empower you and enable you to do it, to be his witnesses. So go. Go. You've got a new purpose. I think tonight you have a new purpose if you trust in Jesus Christ to go and to live. And some of you will be called overseas mission. Some of you, Jesus is looking for people to actually take the gospel right over the world. Some of you may end up in Africa. Some of you may end up in China or all different places around the world. And I'm hoping that God will, will just, by his Holy Spirit, touch those that he's calling there. Some of you will make an impact tomorrow. Tomorrow, maybe morning tea time, people will see Jesus in you. Some will make an impact in the lives of your children like you just could never imagine. Go, church. Be witnesses. In Jesus' name. Let's pray. Oh, God, we've got a, a great purpose.